Good job, guys. That was very friendly of you. Did well. Uh, I noticed uh, in between the gatherings that I think as a church, uh, there's been an official switch from handshaking to elbows. Uh, so uh, for those of you who are just kind of staring and, and thinking to yourself, who is this guy? I'll introduce myself. Uh, my name is Lucas Rugley. I work with a, an organization called Love the Lou um, down in the city. So my wife and I have lived in North St. Louis for about 10 years. A um, couple housekeeping things. If you want to uh, jump on board with us uh, in the near future, on June the 20th, mark your calendars, um, as a church, Wildwood Christian Church is heading down, and you're going to help me throw a block party for all of my neighbors uh, down there. Um, so it's going to be a great time. Uh, I heard there will be uh, bouncy houses involved, so that's always always great. Uh, but yeah, June 20th is when that is. Um, uh, before that, on May the 7th, we actually have a really cool event uh, where you don't have to go anywhere, and you can actually uh, participate by being at home. We're, we're doing an online campaign. Uh, it's a Give STL Day, uh, so May 7th, uh, and we'll be looking for actually a lot of younger, like if, you're, if you know tech uh, and you know social media, I'm saying it as if I don't. Uh, I'm probably right on the cusp of not knowing. Uh, but uh, we're, we'll be creating a few different online campaigns, social media campaigns, um, and, uh, and using that for that day. Let's pray, and we'll get started. God, you are above all, through all, and all. You are larger than we can even imagine, more than we can comprehend. You've made yourself known to us. You've revealed yourself uh, through your son. He is the image of the invisible God. You have uh, truly, truly shown us how we can live, but we need you, and we need you to speak to us today. God, I am praying that uh, it would be your word that comes out of my lips, that it would be uh, anything that is of my flesh would fall to the ground, be forgotten, um, so that we can become uh, your, your people, your church built up in you. We need you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the story goes that uh, uh, years ago, a war had broken out and uh, the land that the town was in was just devastated. Uh, houses had been burned to the ground. There was an entire forest that was laid waste and the enemy army that had come in had effectively squashed the spirits of all of the townspeople. Uh, the current battle was being fought about five miles outside of the town. Uh, it was a very mountainous area with the hillsides, kind of like a movie scene where the enemy army was camped to the north of this valley. And uh, they, were, they were well fortified, uh, very full of themselves. The, the, uh, uh, the town had created their own ragtag team of of an army as well, farmers with pitchforks kind of thing, and, and they were camped to the south, and, and every day they would, the trumpet would sound, and they would meet in the middle uh, to battle it out. And uh, cannons, as they were firing back and forth, uh, could be heard across the hillside, and in this town, the, the people who weren't at war would stand on their porch almost every day and listen and wait anxiously waiting uh, what the outcome would be. 
Uh, one guy described it. He said it felt like he felt this tension, like somebody was just choking his heart, like it was strangling his soul to the point where uh, he had begun to he had begun to lose hope, lose hope. These people had endured a, a ton of pain. They had lost husbands and sons. Uh, they had watched as family members were shackled and and led away to the enemy's work camps. Um, Parents would spend every night trying to comfort their children as they cried themselves asleep. But sleep was, was almost impossible because at any point, the enemy could attack. And so they were just constantly on edge in this town as the war dragged on for so long that people began to think it would just never end. And they grew numb. But then one day, the cannon fire stopped. And it was like this eerie silence throughout the land, like, a, like a, if you've ever been around car motors and you get used to the low rumble, but then you turn the engine off. It was just dead quiet. And people came out of their houses and everybody stood out waiting for the outcome. And, and off in the distance, they saw a young boy, a teenager, where, where the forest had been and along the tree line. He was running towards them. He was shouting at the top of his lungs. And as he got closer, you could understand what he was saying. He was saying, victory, victory, the war is over. Victory, victory, the war is over. And he just kept running and he ran all throughout the town and just kept going, yelling, victory, the war is over. And this message was gospel to their ears. It was good news. We're gonna spend three weeks talking about one word. Um, that means you're stuck with me for three weeks. Okay, I don't know if you've heard the rumors, it's true. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be in a trilogy where we, uh, we look at this word gospel, and there's a distinction that we're going to make between the gospel message, gospel results, and the gospel response that we have. So, so what I'm essentially saying is that you're going to have to be here for the next three weeks if you want to get the full uh, picture. It'd be like watching one Star Wars and not seeing the others. Keep going. Uh, any, anyhow, uh, you should be here. Uh, it's important to note today we're really, we're really uh, going to drive home this idea. It's important to know the distinction between God's work and our work. Um, it's important to recognize all that he has done. And you might, uh, you might actually leave here thinking, man, that's, that's basic. Uh, and I'm not trying to talk over or beneath you. I'm not trying to to, to say that, that you're dumb or anything. I want to actually say that, that we need the gospel message in our lives on a daily basis. We need to be reminded and we need to believe in such a way that it becomes a rhythm for us. And so um, what I'm trying to say is that the more we gaze into the beautiful jewel that is this gospel, the more, the more we look at each, each cut and each facet, each aspect of the gospel the more we will understand the heart and mind of God. The more our lives will begin to change because of his power. It truly is a truth that that as we look to Jesus, the things of earth fade in the background, even our own works. It's like Tim Keller says, he says, this isn't the ABCs of our faith. This is the A to the Z of our faith. Um, This gospel is the lens in which we should look at our lives and and the rest of the world. So it's really important for us to study 
to understand and to continually come back to the gospel. About 10 years ago, I uh, did like a Bible study in my home, in my living room, and I got a bunch of uh, good old Catholic boys from St. Louis University together. And uh, there's about 10 of them. And we were, we were sitting in the living room, we were talking about the gospel. And one of the guys went home and he had never really done a Bible study on his own or anything. And so he did what, what you would do if you've never studied the Bible on your own, uh, but you were curious. He Googled the word gospel <laughs> and then just read and read. And then he went to YouTube and he typed in gospel and he listened to every single sermon and uh, every single um, like sermon jam and illustration and all of these different uh, preachers and teachers talking about the word gospel. And for six months, true story, six months, he just kept going. This was his rhythm of study where he would, he would find anything that was surrounding this word gospel and he would just eat it up. And Jesus began to work in his life in a, in a very dramatic way. He ended up uh, very shortly after that uh, leading his whole family to Christ selling all his possessions. Like he, he was very radical uh, in his approach to accepting Jesus and the word. Uh, he graduated from SLU, immediately became a campus pastor. He got married and then continued this campus ministry. I think he's out in California right now preaching the gospel because, because it gets a hold of you. And I, and I want to encourage us with our Bible study. So you're welcome to go Google the word gospel and read all about it. It's good stuff. Uh, and it worked for him. Um, there's a passage in Colossians where Paul says, I claim to know nothing except Christ crucified. That's been getting me for a while now. I love that. It's, it's in your handout if you've got it. It's a Colossians, uh, something in there in the beginning. Uh, and, and that's a good one for you to reflect on if you get a chance this week. But I'll also give you one other Bible challenge in the next three weeks. I would love for you to sit down in one setting and just read through the book of Galatians. But we're going to use that as kind of a guide to this word, the word gospel. Um, if you sit down and, and read through the book of Galatians, uh, it might take you a half hour. If you, if you want to type it into YouTube and listen to it, uh, it takes about 20 minutes, so my reading is a little slow. Um, I actually prefer there's a Somewhere on, online, there's a British guy reading the book of Galatians, so it, sound, it makes you feel more intelligent. Uh, as you listen to it. I would, just a little freebie there you recommend. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of fly over the book of the Galatians in the, next, uh, in the next few weeks. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. And uh, while we're doing that, I, I want to set this up and just kind of give a little explanation of where the Galatian church is. Um, they're really struggling with the gospel message. They're wrestling with the essence of the gospel. And, and, and you've got to understand that this whole covenant, this new covenant, this work of Jesus is, is a very fresh concept for them. These are a people, the Jewish people, who had been used to uh, doing things a certain way uh, for a couple thousand years. And now it sounds like Paul's coming along and saying, you know what? You don't have to do anything. And so they're really wrestling with, I think, probably things that we would wrestle with too. How many of you, I guess you can show your hands if you want. 
You don't have to. All right, we'll make this rhetorical. All right, we don't have to get that close. Okay, uh, but how many of you have struggled with the concept of what do I do? Like, hey, that's great. Jesus has done all of this, but what do I do? This has been a struggle for my life where, where I recognize that, that God is great. Jesus is great, but I, I, w- I want to do stuff as well, right? So at what point do, do, do the things that I am doing, I'm supposed to do, at what point do they matter? At what point do they count? And Paul is uh, he's saying <laughs> very clearly, he's saying Jesus has done it all. Um, and, and, and specifically, they're going to get into the issue of circumcision. Um, I, I made a circumcision joke, the first one. I'm not even going to try this, this one, okay? Because uh, it doesn't work, all right? It doesn't work. I've learned my lesson. Uh, but it, I thought it was funny and nobody else did. Uh, but I am kind of a middle school boy on the inside, and, and I, uh, I think it's funny reading through the Bible that there's often these spots where you're just like, okay, when you really dive into it, it makes you giggle, it makes you blush, and you're like, okay, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, Galatians starts off uh, practically uh, what the Galatian Christians were doing is, is they were saying, in order to be a f- really a Christian, you got to be a Jew first. That's what they're really getting at. They're saying, you have to accept uh, everything that Moses has done, and then uh, you have to accept what Jesus has done. And so, so they're, they're saying, they're not denying Jesus. They're not saying that Jesus is bad, that Jesus uh, didn't accomplish uh, what he has accomplished. They're just saying, we want to make sure it's put in its proper place. And Paul uh, is going to warn them, he's going to warn us in, in how that comes across. Uh, one way of saying it, I heard a guy, uh, he, he tweeted this at one point. He said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and another way to, to describe the gospel, I would say, is to say, and just in one sentence, is it's, it's everything that Jesus has done and is doing. And so the good news message is the work of Jesus, which means that in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about how we respond to that, but that there's an order to it where my works aren't anything compared to his work. Think about that sentence for just a second. The good news message is everything that Jesus has done and is doing. I got to work with a bunch of middle school students yesterday, which is probably why I'm on the circumcision jokes. But uh, they, I ask them, I ask them uh, what is the gospel? Because I knew we were going to be diving into this. And one of the kids raised his hand. He said, he said um, that we don't go to hell, which I think is kind of where we all are in junior high. You know, like, I don't want to go to hell. There's heaven. I'll take it. That's what Jesus has done. True. But what is Jesus doing? Like, think about that for just a second with your life. Like, he's not dead anymore. Like, he died, but then, just like we would celebrate in the Easter season, he's alive. So he's still working. It wasn't just one work that he accomplished a long time ago that that is a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, he's still continuing to do the work. So his kingdom is coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, we can experience his life, his kingdom here on earth. And so um, a really good question 
for us to reflect on and even just to pause is what has Jesus done? What's he doing? How are you leaning into that? How are you depending on him? What's it look like for you to depend on Jesus this morning? Uh, in verse 6, we'll start. Chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is really strong language. Uh, if you read through the commentaries, they're very quick to note that in the book of Galatians, Paul doesn't gush to his audience like he normally would. All right. Normally, Paul would set up a letter and say, I'm so thankful for who you guys are. You're doing great. I miss you. Love you. God is good. Keep at it. Here, he's kind of like, God is good. Here's a warning. And he gets right to some very strong language. He's, he's going he's gonna to start using some words that we're uncomfortable with in church, even though they're kind of spiritual language. He, he's going to say, if an angel shows up in your midst, if Gabriel himself shows up in your midst and starts preaching a gospel other than what you have heard, if he's adding to Jesus, kick him out. He says, if the apostles, if, if I show up and preach another gospel, if I add to it, let them be damned. Let them be under God's curse. It's such a strong uh, word and warning for us because it's so important that we understand what the gospel is. It's so important that we, that we get it right, that we are continually having, as a people, gospel conversations where we say, yeah, I, I, I don't know. We got to be careful that we're not adding to what the work of Jesus has already accomplished, what he's already doing. Um, Jesus' work is all we need, and, and it's all we need to hold on to. Even as I'm like walking around on stage, I don't know if you guys can see this, but I've got a, my shoestring is like, I didn't even tie my shoes properly is what I'm, like, like this is where we're at as a people, all right? Like I have to switch over to Velcro because we, we can't add anything to the work of, of, of Christ. We're broken people. We're a people who are going to, like, it might happen this morning. Like, we will fall on our face continuously. Like, we, in our efforts, aren't going to be able to practically add anything to the work that Jesus has done. It's so important for us to understand. And think about it. If God truly is holy, almighty, omniscient, perfect, right, if he is that, then what is it that I'm going to be able to do to get up to him? What work am I going? Recycling? Shopping at Goodwill? Like visiting my grandma and her friends? Like, like what is it that, that I'm going to do that's going to really impress him? Unless 
He's a good father who's already impressed and is able to reach down and able to come down to me and get on my level. And Jesus as the image of the invisible God to, to show us an example of how we can live. Not that we would have an example so that we can work to him, but that we would have an example of how to live. His work is greater than ours. And guys, I know we would sing it, but like his grace is enough. And I know we would sing it, but Jesus paid it all. Not most of it, paid it all. So it's really important that we understand we will work. So I'm not trying to say go out and sin or just sit here and do nothing. I'm just trying to say that his work is what is going to fuel us. His work is going to be all sufficient to hang on to for life. Yeah, it's freebie. There we go. Kurt, can I add another 10 minutes to this? Just, just for fun. My, uh, when my son turned three years old, he, uh, he received a blue and red Fisher-Price lawnmower that when you push it, uh, blows bubbles. Maybe you've seen this. Uh, and it was the best thing he had ever received in his entire life. It was his dream come true. Uh, he, he felt like he was finally able to pull his own weight, you know, he had just been mooching off us for the first three years, and, and, uh, and so he was ready. Um, and, and so he had to wait about a month, but uh, we went out to the backyard, and he mowed the lawn. And he came back in, and you know what he told my wife? Mom, I just finished mowing the lawn. I'm going to need some lemonade, you know. And you know what we said to him? Uh, we said, man, buddy, good job. Way to help out. Good job. And I think this is a decent illustration of, of, of how God views us. Because I'm, I'm not trying to beat you over the head today and say, like, you're worthless. You shouldn't do it. You know, like, that's not the point. You're his child. He loves you. He cares about you. He's leading you. But your work is going to be very similar to a kid pushing a Fisher-Price red and, and blue, blowing bubbles, lawnmower. So I want us to understand that God is a very good God who's going to lay out an example for us to live. But as we're living our life, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to impress him any more than he's already impressed with you. That's for the whole world. That's not just for us in America. That's for, for all of his children. And so there's no amount of sacrifice on our part that's going to get us to him. No amount of self-care or counseling that's going to truly heal us. We, we will need to depend completely on him and his work. The gospel message is the, the work of, of God. And the more we gaze into that beautiful jewel, the more our lives uh, will change. In, in verse 1, or in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This isn't, this isn't my idea. This isn't Paul's idea. Paul's idea, you remember in Acts chapter 9? Paul's idea was, was truly a man-made religion. Like he's going to go out and he's going to force his view on everybody else. And if you don't agree with him, he's going to wipe you out. Like his, Paul's view is, I'm, I've got a direction. I've been highly educated. I've got the power. I've got the authority to, to fulfill this. And then God blinds him. God chases him down. And in a radical way says, you're mine. You're no longer on that path. Because that's what he's doing for us as well. Like, like, I don't know if you've been blinded by God lately, but, but there will be points in your life where he reaches down and you realize it wasn't me doing the chasing, it was him doing the pursuing all along. Does that make sense? I know, like, I know from our point of view, a lot of times it feels like, hey, these are all the things I'm doing. From his point of view, he's saying, I got you. I want you. And do whatever it takes. Because that's good news for us. It's not our idea. It's not my idea. Um, I think that any time we find ourselves uh, straining, like in our own strength, we need to realize that we're probably operating outside of the work that he's already done. A good news message. I think there's a few reasons why we would strain. I think there's a few reasons why we add to the gospel. I think one is very, very, uh, very spiritual. Like, it's almost like, I'm, I'm still kind of processing this. I've been thinking about this all week. I think that we struggle with control a little bit. Um, <laughs> it was like way too many amens there. Okay, like, I, I do think that that we want to do something. I think it's, a, it's very difficult for us to just stand back and say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Like, I, I really think what we like about that is like, okay, what do I owe? <laughs> and then let's do all of that. And then is there anything more that I owe? Do, 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 you know? To where we become good with checklists, spiritual checklists. So that we can, at the end of the day, sleep well because we've got some control. But the problem with that mindset is that's not surrender. That's not us opening our hands to him and saying, you lead, you take over, I accept. That's us saying, I kind of want this and here's what I've done to earn it. Um, I think there's also another practical piece where it's really hard to depend on Jesus every day. Like, I think it's just really hard for us. And so we add to the gospel just in a practical way, uh, probably all the time. On Tuesday nights, uh, my wife and I, around our dinner table, we, uh, we invite all the neighborhood boys in. Um, so quick side note, uh, you will hear some of the most hilarious things around my dinner table on Tuesday night. Because uh, these boys, like, we open it up. It's kind of an open forum for them to talk about anything. And they, they are funny. Uh, they've got some really good thoughts on the coronavirus. Uh, 
that are just hilarious. Uh, I should tweet it out to you. I won't. Um, but funny, nonetheless, that's free. Uh, the, for our last few Tuesdays, actually for a while now, there's a, uh, there's a couple that has joined us, and they're a missionary couple from Haiti. And uh, uh, the, the man, they're married, the man is from Haiti, and he met his wife as she was on a missions trip over there. And Benno is his name, and Benno's dad was a witch doctor. He was like the leader of voodoo in their whole village. And, I mean, you talk about some good quotes there. When you start saying the word witch doctor and voodoo around my inner city neighborhood boys, uh, they flip out. Like they, like, they got all kinds of questions. And when he describes voodoo to them, they flip out even more. Like chicken heads and like you're putting skulls around houses. You're taking people's chunks of hair and burn it. You know, like all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're just like, what? This is crazy. You know, like that's demonic. They, like they're naming it and just saying that's terrible. You should never do that. Uh, Benno then blew their minds the other day where he said some people will we'll go to church. They are, they're literally Christians. But then later on, they'll also visit the witch doctor. And my kids just lost their mind when they heard that. What are you talking about? That's Satan. This is Jesus. You can't have Satan and Jesus. No, that's never going to work. And Benno's like, I know it's not going to work. Uh, but they just couldn't imagine how in the world you could accept Jesus on Sunday, but then use voodoo on Monday. And I heard a guy even say that. This is what they, they kind of said. They said, we need Jesus on Sunday to make it to heaven. We need voodoo on Monday to make it through the week. He said that. Like, and that's, that's really silly. And my boys, they, they, when they heard that, they're like, that's, that's ridiculous. Until we started talking about our lives here. Now, I personally have not been to the witch doctor. Um, pretty sure. <laughs> Some of you I'm worried about, but no. But I, that, that thought resonates with me. There have been times in my life, plenty of times, where I've filled up on Jesus on a Sunday. I've worshiped him. I've said, you are king. You are God, I am not. I meant it. But then very practically on Monday, when I'm having issues with, with my kid or in my marriage or with my finances, with the car or with the job, like just making it through, Jesus, you're not here. <laughs> you're not physically present right now. And so I'm going to use fill in the blank so that I can make it through my Monday, so I can make it through my Tuesday. So I can make it through the week and I'll come back and I'll worship you. And we would never call that voodoo. But it's the same thing. We would never say like, like, oh, I visited the witch doctor or I worship idols. But that's a heart idolatry. So I think practically, we will leave the gospel because it's hard to depend on Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying is like completely surrender your life to Jesus that's hard. That, that almost seems like bad news. But this is a gospel sermon, right? So, so here's some good news. First John, end of chapter one, end of, end of chapter two, says, 
Dear children, don't sin. Like, he, like I love how John says it. He's like, don't sin. I'm like, okay. But if you do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So when you sin, if you sin this week, you know what you do? Go back to the gospel. Go back to the good news. Like, go back to him. Return to him. This is so important. It's not my idea. My idea would have been, everybody moves down to the inner city. That would have been my idea. And then God's all impressed with us. Uh, that would have been really damaging to the, my neighbors. But anyways, that would have been my idea. This isn't our idea. We, uh, I'll kind of, I'll end with this, this verse. And when I say end, like there's a lot coming, but uh, we'll look at this last verse and then, uh, um, and then we'll do a couple things more. It says in chapter two, verse 15 through 21, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let me repeat that one real quick. That's a good one. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in, my, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If you find yourself at a spot today where you are straining, where you're trying to build up your own kingdom, and you know it, and you're exhausted, I want to just encourage you to stop. If you find yourself at a spot today where, where you, you've literally come in and you've been asking this question, what do I need to do? What more do I need to do? I want to give you permission just to pause, to stop. Take, take the focus off of ourselves for a second. This isn't about us. It is about his work and what he has done. The, the story I told at the beginning got to a point where there was a young, uh, a young boy and he was, he was running through the village and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, victory, it's over, victory, it's over. Do you think that the townspeople responded by covering their ears? I don't want to hear it. They didn't. Do you think that they, they responded by critiquing the messenger? Huh. Sure wish he wouldn't yell that so loud. <laughs> like, like like he, maybe we need multiple people. Maybe we should sing a song first, set him up over there, and then have an exposition of this. Like, no, they didn't, they didn't critique it. You think they went back to their lives in sleeplessness and in fear? No. Because when good news comes along, 
when the gospel, when we're presented with the gospel, the thing that we're able to do is to say, yes, this is good news. And everything else will be the results of what he has done. And our response will be completely heading in the opposite direction of where we've been. Like we will have a, a radical shift in where we were going because of him and how great he is. Uh, I'm going to pray in a second. We're going to sing a, a song. And as we sing this, this last song, I would love for it to be a song of, of kind of surrender. Like almost to where we're saying this prayer, like you're God, I'm not. You're the one that's going to have to lead me. Paul's going to keep going through the book of Galatians. He's going to get to a point where we have this life led by the Spirit. So it's not even my strength now. It's him and his strength. And so we're just continually accepting the Spirit. Not to give too much away, but he gets to a spot where he's like, there's a fruit of the Spirit that starts coming out. So for those of us that want patience, and you're like, man, I'm just praying for patience and nothing's happening. Pray for the Spirit and the fruit will be patience. Does that make sense? Like for those of us who are wanting self-control and we're like trying to do it on our own and we're trying to pray the right prayer for self-control, accept the Spirit, accept the gospel. Say, Jesus, you need to fill me up so that there is no control in my life anymore. Jesus is the only human that has gotten the work done perfectly. So now that you've heard, how are you going to respond? How are you going to receive this message? Let's pray. You have done so much for us in the past. You're doing so much for us now. God, I, I know, I know my own sin. I know what, what we're all capable of. I know the fear that we live in uh, in this day and age of our own kingdoms being knocked down. We want to be about you. God, I know that this road uh, will, be, will be difficult. I know that there will be suffering. I know, God, that, that uh, everything we're talking about is not easy to, to do in one day, but I'm praying that you would show up in our day today and that tomorrow morning we can accept you once again. God, help us to be faithful, faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to the, the traditions that have been handed down to us. Jesus, you are the king. You are king over everything. And so we want to be faithful to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.